Continuing Iambicus's Life of Pythagoras, translated by from the Greek by Thomas Taylor in chapter 18, in the middle of chapter 18. There was, however, a certain person named Hippomedon, an Aegean, a Pythagorean, and one of the Akusmat who asserted that Pythagoras gave the reasons and demonstrations of all these precepts, but that in consequence of their being delivered to many, uh, and these such as were of a more sluggish genius, the demonstrations were taken away, the problems themselves were left. Those, however, of the Pythagoreans that are called Mathematici acknowledged that these reasons and demonstrations were added by Pythagoras, and they say still more than this and contend that their assertions are true, but affirm that the following circumstances was the cause of the dissimilitude. Pythagoras, say they, came from Ionia and Samos, during the tyranny of Polycrates, Italy being then in a flourishing condition, and the first men in the city became his associates. But to the more elderly of these, and who were not at leisure for philosophy in consequence of being occupied by political affairs, the discourse of Pythagoras was not accompanied with a reasoning process because it would have been difficult for them to apprehend this meaning through disciplines and demonstrations, and he conceived they would nevertheless be benefited by knowing what ought to be done, though they were destitute of the knowledge of the why. Just as those who are under the care of physicians obtain their help, though they do not hear the reason of everything which is to be done to them, but with the younger part of his associates, and who were able both to act and learn, and with these he conversed through demonstration and disciplines. These, therefore, are the assertions of the Mathematici, but the former of the Acousmatici, with respect to hypothesis. Who, however, especially they assert that he was one of the Pythagoreans, but that in a consequence of being, having divulged and described the method of forming a sphere from twelve polygons. He perished in the perished in the sea as an impious person, but obtained the renown of having made the discovery. In reality, however, this as well as everything else pertaining to geometry was the invention of that man, for thus, without mentioning his name, they denominate Pythagoras. But the Pythagoreans say that geometry was divulged from the following circumstance. A certain Pythagorean happened to lose the wealth which he possessed. In consequence of this misfortune, he was permitted to enrich himself from geometry. But geometry was called by Hippocrates, Pythagoras, 
Historia. And thus much concerning the difference of each mode of philosophizing and the classes of the auditors of Pythagoras. For those who heard him either within or without the veil, and those who heard him accompanied with seeing or without seeing him, and who are divided into interior and exterior auditors were no other than these. And it is requisite to arrange under these the political, economic, and legislative Pythagoreans. Here he mentions again that those who heard him either within or without the veil. Hmm. Hmm. Inside. Chapter 19. Universally, however, it deserves to be known that Pythagoras discovered many paths of erudition and that he delivered an appropriate portion of wisdom comfortable, conformable to the proper nature and power of each, and of which the following is the greatest argument. When Ah, Barus, and the Scythian came from the hyperboleans, unskilled and uninitiated in the Grecian learning, and was then of an advanced age. Pythagoras did not introduce him to erudition through various theorems, but instead of silence, asculation for so long a time, A-U-S-C-U-L-T-A-T-I-O-N, for so long a time and other trials, he immediately considered him adapted to be an auditor of his dogmas and instructed him in the short, shortest way in his treatise on nature and in another treatise on the gods for Abaris, A-B-A-R-I-S, came from the Hyperboleans, being a priest of the Apollo, who was there worshipped an elderly man and most wise in sacred concerns. But at that time he was returning from Greece to his own country in order that he might consecrate to God in his temple among the hyperboreans the gold which he had collected. Passing, therefore, through Italy and seeing Pythagoras, 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 he especially assimilated him to the God of whom he was the priest, and believing that he was no other than the God himself, and that no man resembled him but that he was truly Apollo, both from the venerable indications which he saw about him and from those which the priest had known before he gave Pythagoras a uh, dart through which he took with him when he left the temple at a thing as a thing that would be useful to him in the difficulties that would befall him in so long a journey. For he was carried by it in passing through inaccessible places such as rivers, lakes, marshes, mountains, and the like, and performed through it as it was said illustrious and expelled pestilence and winds from the cities that requested him to liberate them from these evils. He, we are informed, therefore, that 
Quakademon, after having been purified him, was no longer infested with pestilence, though prior to this it had frequently fallen into this evil. Through the baneful nature of the place in which it was built, the mountains of Tegetis, suffocating, uh, producing a suffocating heat by being situated above the city in the same manner as Gnosis in Crete, and many other similar particulars are related of the power of Abaris. Pythagoras, however, receiving the dart, and neither being astonished at the novelty of the thing, nor asking the reason why it was given to him, but as if he were in reality a god himself, taking Abaris aside, showed him his golden thigh as an indication that he was not wholly deceived in the opinion he had formed of him, and having enumerated to him the several particulars that were deposited in the temple, he gave him a sufficient reason to believe that he had not badly conjectured in assimilating, assimilating him to Apollo. Pythagoras also added that he came from the regions of mortality for the purposes of remedying, benefiting the condition of mankind, and that on this account he had assumed a human form, least man being disturbed by the novelty of his transcendency should avoid the discipline which he possessed. He likewise aborted, adhorred Abaris to remain in that place, and to unite with him in correcting the lives and manners of those with whom he might meet, but to share the gold which he had collected in common with his associates who had led, who were led by reason to confirm by their deeds the dogma that the possessions of friends are common. Thus, therefore, Pythagoras unfolded to the Abaros who remained with him, as we have just now said, Physiology and theology in a compendious way, and instead of divination, by the entrails of beast, he delivered to him the art of pro- prognosticating through numbers, conceiving that this was pure, more divine, more adapted to the celestial numbers of the gods. He delivered also to Baris other studies which were adapted to him, that we may return, however, to that for the sake of which the present treatise was written. But the Pythagoras endeavored to correct and amend different persons according to the nature and power of each. All such particulars, therefore, as these, have neither been transmitted to the knowledge of men, nor is it easy to narrate all that has been transmitted to us concerning him. Chapter 20. We shall, however, exhibit a few specimens and those the most faint celebrated of the Pythagoric discipline and also the monuments of the studies in which those men engaged. In the first place, therefore, Pythagoras, in making trial of the aptitude of those who came to him, considered whether they could ecumathene E C H E M U T H E I N. In other words, whether they were able to refrain from speaking. <laughs> For this was the word which he used uh, stop, stop speaking, be quiet. 
and surveyed whether they could conceal in silence and preserve what they had learnt and heard. In the next place, he observed whether they were modest. <laughs> silence and modest, for which he was much more anxious that they should be silent than that they should speak. He likewise directed his attention to every other particular, such as whether they were astonished by the energies of any immoderate passion or desire. Nor did he, in a superficial manner, consider how they were affected with respect to anger or desire, or whether they were contentious or ambitious, and how they were disposed with reference to friendship or strife. And if, on his surveying all these particulars accurately, they appeared to him to be endued with worthy manners, then he directed his attention to their facility in learning and their memory. And in the first place, indeed, he considered whether they were able to follow what was said with rapidity and perspicuity. But in the next place, whether a certain love and temperance tended them towards the disciplines which they were taught, for he surveyed how they were naturally deposed, uh, disposed with respect to gentleness. But he called this catars. Catartesis, C-A-T-A-R-T-Y-S-I-S, elegance of manners. And he considered ferocity as hostile to such a mode of education, for imprudence, shamelessness, intemperance, what? Slothfulness. Slowness in learning, unrestricted licentiousness, disgrace, and the like are the attendants on savage manners. But the contraries on gentleness and mildness, he considered these things, therefore, in making trial of those who came to him, and in these he exercised the learners. And those that were adapted to receive the goods of the wisdom he possessed, he admitted to be his disciples and thus endeavor to elevate them to scientific knowledge. They keep saying scientific knowledge. Yeah, and you see, he calls it science. Even Why is a guru teaching science? Science of spirituality, isn't it? Why is he teaching the science of spirituality? But if he perceived that any one of them was unadapted, he expelled him as one of another tribe and a stranger. Except for he expels people. <laughs> if they don't do well, get kicked out. <laughs> In the next place, I shall speak of the studies which he delivered through the whole of the day to his associates. For those who committed themselves to the guidance of his doctrine and acted in the following manner, they performed their morning walks alone and in places in which they are happened to be in appropriate solitude and quiet. The morning walks. Uh -huh. And where they were, temples and groves and other things adapted to give delight. Uh, for they thought it was not proper to converse with anyone till they had rendered their own soul sedate and had co-harmonized the reasoning power how do you co-harmonize it? 
you have to listen to the music of the spheres. <laughs> For they apprehended it to be a thing of a turbulent nature to mingle in a crowd as soon as they rose from bed. On this account, all the Pythagoreans always selected for themselves the most sacred places, but after their morning walk, they associated with each other, and especially in temples, uh, or if this was not possible, in places that resembled them. This time, likewise, they employed in the discussion of doctrines and disciplines and in the correction of their manners. So. Hmm. Chapter 21. After an association of this kind, they turn their attention to the health of the body. Most of them, however, used unction and the course, U-N-C-T-I-O-N, and the course, but a less number employed themselves in wrestling in gardens and groves. Wrestling. Others in leaping with leaden weights uh, in their hands. I don't know if you'll leap with light weights. Uh, use weights. And in pantomime gesticulations and with a view to the strength of the body. Studiously selecting for this purpose opposite exercises. Opposite exercises. Their dinner consisted of bread and honey, and or the honeycomb. But they did not drink wine during the day. They also employed the time after dinner in the political economy pertaining to strangers and guests conformably to the mandate of the laws. For they wished to transact all business of this kind in the hours after dinner. But when it was evening, they again betook themselves to walking. Do you think we should do an evening walk? Uh -huh. hmm. Now, people, when they say in Greece, it's some, something like plants. Evening. I would like to take an evening walk. Uh -huh. I think that might add a nice little, a little addition to my routine. Uh -huh. Yet not singly as in the morning walk. Of course, you've got to have a morning walk and an evening walk. If we're going to do Neo-Pythagorean school of the Neo-Pythagoreanism, we have to adopt these things. We have the early meditation and the morning walk and the evening walk. and Right? But in parties of two or three, calling to mind as they walked uh, the disciplines they had learned. I think we should teach the Pythagorean theorem and mathematics. It'd be interesting to teach math as well as the science of spirituality. We could teach number theory with the science of spirituality. So they learned to meditate and learned Pure mathematics. The disciplines they had learnt and exercising themselves in beautiful studies. Could be just beautiful studies. You think that the studies should all just be beautiful? After they had walked, they made use of the bath, and having washed themselves, they assembled in the place where they eat together. 
which contained no more than ten who met for this purpose. These, however, being collected together, libations and sacrifices were performed with them fumigations and frankincense. After this they went to supper, which they finished before the setting of the sun. You think we should have supper before the setting of the sun? That would make sense. But they made use of wine. You're saying their dinner was like lunch. But they made use of wine and maize and bread and every kind of food that is eaten with bread. And so they have wine, eh? They did have bread. They made use of wine, though before they was not using wine. Not for lunch, like only for dinner. And likewise raw and boiled herbs. They just had raw and boiled herbs, so you're supposed to have some raw food diet and some cooked food. <laughs> mm -hmm. The flesh also of such animals was placed before them as it was lawful to emulate, but they rarely fed on fish, for this nutriment was not for certain causes useful to them. So they rarely fed on fish. In a similar manner? Yeah, well, we're talking more about the school than it is about Pythagoras himself. In a similar manner, also, they were of opinion that the animal, which is not naturally nauseous to the human race, should neither be injured nor slain, but rather the supper libations were performed, and these were succeeded by readings. Do we have readings after supper? It was the custom, however, with them for the youngest to read and the eldest ordered what was to be read. So I could have young people reading and I could be old and tell them what to read. And after what manner? But when they were about to depart, the cupbearer poured out a libation for them, and the libation being performed, the eldest and announced to them the following precepts. That a mild and fruitful plant should neither be injured nor corrupted, nor in a similar manner, any animal which is not nauseous to the human race, nauseous. And further still, that it is necessary to speak piously and form proper conceptions of the divine, demonical and heroic genere, and in a similar manner of parents and benefactors, that it is proper likewise to give assistance to law and to be hostile to illegality. But these things being said, each departed to his own place of abode, and they also wore a white and pure garment. And in a similar manner they lay on pure and white beds and coverlets of which were made of the thread. For they did not use woolen coverlets, and with respect to hunting they did not approve of it. They didn't do hunting. And therefore did not employ themselves in an exercise of this kind. 
Such, therefore, were the precepts which were daily delivered to the disciples of Pythagoras with respect to nutriment and the mode of living. So what they were eating for dinner again? Oh, dear, they said rarely fish, and they said they had raw and boiled herbs, and they had bread, and they had maize. Now, what is maize? Hmm. Hmm. They did morning walks and evening walks, uh-huh. and the youngest read, read, did readings. What do they read? <laughs> Chapter 22. Another mode, also of erudition, is transmitted to us, which was affected through Pythagoric precepts and the sentences which extended to human life and human opinion, a few which out of many I shall narrate. One of these, therefore, contains an exhortation to remove contention and strife from true friendship and especially from all friendship if possible, but if this is not possible at least to expel it from fraternal friendship and universally from that which subsists with elders and benefactors. For to contend pervicariously with such as these, anger and some other similar passion intervening is not to preserve, but destroy the existing friendship. But they say it is necessary that the smallest lacerations and all Ulcerations should take place in friendships, and that this was will be effected if both the friends know how to yield and subdue their anger, and especially the younger of the two, and who belongs to some one of the above-mentioned orders. They likewise thought it necessary that the corrections and admonitions, which they called pedartasis, P-A-I-E, D-A-R-T-A-S-E-S, and which the elder employed towards the younger should be made with much suavity, suavity of manners and great caution, and also that much solitude, solicitude and appropriation should be exhibited in admonitions. Thus the admonition will become decorous and beneficial. They likewise say that faith should never be separated from friendship, neither seriously nor in jest, for it is no longer easy for the existing friendship to remain in a sane condition, when falsehood once insinuates itself into the manners of those who assert themselves to be friends. And again they say that friendship is not to be rejected on account of misfortune or any other imbecility which happens to human life, but that the only laudable rejection of a friend and of friendship is that which takes place through great and incurable vice. Since therefore was the form of correction with the Pythagoreans through sentences, which extended to all the virtues and to the whole of life. Chapter 23 the mode, however, of teaching through symbols was considered by Pythagoras as most necessary. He was into symbols. Uh-huh. That makes sense. For this form of erudition was cultivated by nearly all the Greeks as being most ancient. But it was transcendently honored by the Egyptians. 
and adopted by them in the most diversified manner conformably. To this, therefore, it will be found that the great attention was paid to it by Pythagoras. If any one clearly unfolds the significations and arcane conceptions of the Pythagoric symbols and thus develops the great rectitude and truth they contain and liberates them from their enigmatic form, for they are adapted according to the, a simple and uniform doctrine to the great geniuses of these philosophers and deify in a manner which surpasses human conception. For those who came from this school, and especially the most ancient Pythagoreans, also those young men who were the disciples of Pythagoras when he was an old man, vis-a-vis, vis-a-vis and Euritus and Charandas and Thalekas and Brason and Elder Ar- Architas and Aristias, Elisus and Empedocleus and Zanosus and Epimenides and Phil- Milo and Lysippus and Alcmonion and Epasus and Thymaridas and all of that age, consisting of a multitude of learned men and who were above measure excellent, and all these adopted this mode of teaching in their discourses with each other and in their commentaries and annotations. Iambicus in this list of Pythagorean's footnote must be supposed to enumerate those only who were contemporary with Pythagoras, since he too, if he did, he, is contra- he contradicts what he says of that he was many ages posterior to Pythagoras, but of those in general who came to the Bible of our. These writings also and all the books which were they published, most of which have been preserved even to our time. to Iambucus's time, were not composed by them in a popular and vulgar diction and in a manner unusual with all other writers, so as to be immediately understood, but in such a way as not to be easily apprehended by those that read them. Or they adopted that taciturnity which is instituted by Pythagoras as a law in concealing after an arcane mode divine mysteries from the uninitiated obscuring their writings and conferences with each other. Hence, he who is selecting these symbols does not unfold their meaning by an, an apposite exposition will cause those who may happen to meet with them to consider them as ridiculous and inane and as full of nugosity and garrulity, and which, however, they are unfolded in a way conformable to these symbols and become obvious and clear even to the multitude instead of being obscure and dark, then they will be found to be analogous to prophetic sayings and to the oracles of the Pythian Apollo. They will all then also exhibit an admirable meaning and will produce a divine afflactus in those who unite intellect with erudition. Nor will it be improper to mention a few of them. 
in order that this mode of discipline may become more perspicuous and enter not into a temple negligently, nor in a short door carelessly, not even though you should stand at the very doors here themselves. Sacrifice and adore unshod, declining from the public ways, walk in unfrequented paths, speak not about pathagoric concerns without light, and such are the outlines of the mode adopted by Pythagoras of teachings through symbols. Hmm. Hmm. Teachings through symbols. Hmm. Chapter. 24. Since, however, nutriment greatly contributes to the best discipline when it is properly used and in orderly manner, let us consider what Pythagoras also instituted as a law about this. This is about food, huh? Universally, therefore, he rejected all such food as his flatulent and the cause of perturbation, but he approved of the nutriment contrary to this and ordered it to be used vis-a-vis -vis such food as composes and compresses the habit of the body. Hence, likewise, he thought that millet was a plant adapted to nutrition. Millet. But he altogether rejected such food as is foreign to the gods because it is it withdraws us from familiarity with the gods. Again, according to another mode also, he ordered his disciples to abstain from such foods as is reckoned sacred as being worthy of honor and not to be appropriated to common and human utility. He likewise exhorted them to abstain from such things as are an impediment to prophecy and to the purity and chastity of the soil, and to the habit of temperance and of virtue, and lastly he rejected all such things as are adverse to sanctity, and which obscure and disturb the other purities of the soul and the phantasms which occur in sleep. And these things therefore are instituted as laws in common about nutriment. So you get the impression that you need rules about food. <laughs> we don't know what they are exactly. But this implies you need to regulate your food. <laughs> Separately, however, he forbade the most contemplative of philosophers who have arrived at the summit of philosophical attainments the use of superfluous and unjust food in order them never to eat anything animated. Never. He ordered them. Ordered them never to eat anything animated. Never. Alive. <laughs> animated. It moves. Nor, in short, to drink wine. Though he's talking in the Maybe the advanced ones. You're the most contemplative of philosophers, the most. Uh -huh. The others may have been amateurs. Uh -huh. They're just beginners. Nor to sacrifice animals to the gods, nor by any means to injure animals, but to persevere, preserve. Uh -huh. Most solicitously justice towards them. Do you think that animals should have justice? Uh -huh. 
They should have protective laws. <laughs> and he himself lived after this manner, abstaining from animal meat, food, I mean, and adoring altars undefiled with blood. He was likewise careful in preventing others from destroying animals that are of a kindred nature with us, and rather corrected and instru instructed savage animals through words and deeds, and then, then injured them through punishment. And farther still, he also enjoined those politicians that were legislators to abstain from animals, whereas they wished to act in the highest degree justly. It is certainly necessary that they should not injure any kindred animal. Now he's saying the politicians should eat meat. Since they could be, they persuade others to act justly. If they themselves were detected in injuring an insatiable avity by partaking of animals that are allied to us, for through the communion of life and the same elements in the mixture subsisting from these, they are, as it were, conjoined to us by a fraternal alliance. He permitted, however, others whose life was not entirely purified, sacred and philosophic, to eat of certain animals. So he permitted those were not purified, sacred or philosophic, if you weren't a philosopher. <laughs> so, basically, non-philosophers can eat animals. <laughs> For these he appointed a definite time of abstinence. <laughs> Still they had a time of abstinence. These, therefore, he ordered not to eat the heart nor the brain, and from eating of these he entirely prohibited all the Pythagoreans. For these parts are of a ruling nature, and as it, it were certain ladders and seats of wisdom and life, but other things were considered by him as sacred on account of the nature of a divine reason. Thus he exhorted his disciples to abstain from malos, M-A-L-L-O-W-S. Because this plant is the first messenger and signal of the sympathy of celestial with terrestrial natures. Thus, too, he ordered them to abstain from fit the fish, Malanurus, for it is sacred to the terrestrial gods, and also not to receive the fish, Erethinus, though, through other such causes. He likewise exhorted them to abstain from beans. Oh no, I, I'm not going to follow that one. <laughs> well, what are we going to do about the beans? Is that a big issue? Abstain from beans on account of many sacred and physical causes and also such causes as pertain to the soul. And he established as laws of the precepts similar to these beginning through nutriment to lead men to virtue. <laughs> Seems like food can lead to virtue. <laughs> Do you think teachers of science and spirituality should tell you what to eat? <laughs> and direct you as if it mattered? <laughs> mm -hmm.
It does matter. It makes a difference. Yeah. We want another chapter or we can stop? If you want to. You want to read, uh, make coffee or you're not making it? No, coffee later. Mm. Are we permitted to have coffee in the school of Neo-Pythagoreanism? Mm -hmm. You think we can go to Greece and start up the whole school again? Mm -hmm. Why not? <laughs> they have one. You think they have any school of Pythagoras over there? Hmm. Ah, I guess we could read on one more chapter. Pythagoras was likewise of opinion that music contributed greatly to health. If it was used in an appropriate manner, for he was accustomed to employ a purification of this kind, but not in a careless way. And he called the medicine which is obtained through music by the name of purification. But he employed such a melody as this about the venerable season, for he placed in the middle of a certain person who played on the lyre and seated in a circle around him those who were able to sing, and thus when the person in the center struck the lyre, those that surrounded him sung certain paeans, through which they were seen to be delighted and to become elegant and orderly in their manners. But at another time they used music in the place of medicine. And there are certain melodies devised as remedies against the passions of the soul. Do you think a melody could be devised? Uh, and also against despondency and lamentation, <laughs> which Pythagoras invented as things that afford the greatest assistance in these maladies. And again, he employed other maladies against rage and anger. <laughs> and against every aberration of the soul, there is also another kind of modulation invented as a remedy against desires. He likewise used dancing. Remember I said I wanted to dance for my birthday? Huh? Are we going to do dancing? Huh? He likewise used dancing, but employed the lyre as an instrument for this purpose. He bore, he conceived, that the pipe was calculated to excite insolence and was a theatrical instrument and had by no means a liberal sound. Select verses. <laughs> Well-instituted, footnote, well-instituted policies are adverse to the art of playing on wood instruments, and therefore neither did Plato admit it. The cause of this is the variety of this instrument, the pipe, which shows that the art which it uses it should be avoided for instruments called parnarmonia, and those consisting of many strings are imitations of pipes. For every hole of the pipe emits, as they say, three sounds at once, but if the cavity above the holes be open, then each hole will emit more than these sound, three sounds, whatever that means. Select verses also of Homer and Hesiod were used for, by him. 
for the purpose of correcting the soul amid the deeds of Pythagoras, likewise, it is said that once through the spondaic song of a piper he extinguished the rage of a Tauromenian lad who had been feasting by night and intended to burn the festival of his mistress in consequence of seeing her coming from the house of his rival. For the lad was inflamed and excited to this rash attempt by a Phrygian song, which, however, Pythagoras most rapidly suppressed. But Pythagoras, as he was astronomizing, astronomizing, happened to meet with the Phrygian piper at an unseasonable time of night and persuaded him to change his Phrygian for a spondaic song through which the fury of the lad being immediately repressed, he returned home in an orderly manner, though a little before this he could not be in the least restrained, nor would in short bear any admonition, and even stupidly insulted Pythagoras when he met him, when a certain youth also rushed with the drawn sword on and Ketos, the host of Empedocles, became, and being a judge, he had publicly condemned his father to death and would have slain him as a homicide. Empedocles changed the intention of the youth <clears throat> by singing to his lyre that verse of Homer, Nepenthe without gall, or every, over every ill, oblivion spreads. And thus snatched this host and Cletus from death, and the youth from the crime of homicide. <clears throat> it is also related that the youth from that time became the most celebrated of the disciples of Pythagoras. Farther still, the whole Pythagoric school produced by certain appropriate songs, what they called Extartesis adaptations, synarmogi, or elegance of manners, and epochpi, or contact, usefully conducting the dispositions of the soul to passions contrary to those which it before possessed. For when they went to bed, they purified the reasoning power from the perturbations and noises to which it had been exposed during the day by certain odes and particular songs, and by this means procured for themselves tranquil sleep and few and good dreams. But when they rose from bed, they again liberated themselves from the torpor or end heaviness of sleep by songs of another kind. Do you think we need to have a song in the morning? Sometimes also by musical sounds alone, unaccompanied with words, they yield the passions of the soul and certain diseases, enchanting as they say in reality. And it is probable that from hence this name, a epoch, epod, epod, episode, epo, epo, epodi, is this a, is this podcast itself an episode, epodi? E-P-O-D-E, enchantment, came to be generally used. Uh -huh. 
After this manner, therefore, Pythagoras, through music, produced the most beneficial correction of human manners and lives. It's all through music. Well, there's a lot of music here. When you study music theory, you pretty much start with Pythagoras. Uh, we're talking music theory. This is like music theory. Music theory class with Pythagoras. Uh, do you learn anything in music theory class? Uh -huh. <laughs> This is chapter up to chapter uh, 25. We read chapter 25 on music theory. <laughs> and we read about the diet and how your advanced philosophers don't eat meat. <laughs> and then we learned symbols. So we learned about diet, how to use symbols in mathematics. <laughs> And we learned to take a walk in the morning and the evening, huh? right? I'm taking walks, so we learned basically how to walk, use symbols. And from we had started the reading in the middle of chapter 18, so we read 18 and a half to 25. Any comment? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> We were studying music theory and the life of Pythagoras and Iambicus's life, translated by Thomas Taylor. Hmm? He did a what? Who? The work. Yeah, we don't quite know what all the musical melodies were and why they claim to be so effective. Why is the music more effective than? Because my anger is not tamed by a melody. <laughs> what? How come my anger isn't tamed by melodies? <laughs> I don't have any anger or don't have any good melodies. <laughs> I have no anger? Well, that's good. Then I might, maybe I did have had some good melodies. <laughs> Hmm, all right. Mm -hmm.